start with the things you like. I'm sure when you were in Italy, that's what you did. You ordered the things you liked, and then you saw something going on, and you checked it out, and you really liked it. And now you've learned to enlarge your life. I think that's what eating healthy is all about. It's really not making it a burden, making it something sustainable that you can do your whole life. These deprivation diets or elimination diets are, you know, you can do them for a short periods of time, but they're really, really hard to sustain. And so here, I think you can eat to beat disease and love your life at the same time. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Today, I am joining you from Italy. We are on vacation and enjoying some of the best food in the world. It's definitely our favorite place to be. And it really ties in with this conversation that we are having today. So what if I told you that you can eat to beat disease? I have a feeling that you've heard this statement before or something like it. Now, I initially started to study this idea with my very, very first book almost 10 years ago. That first book of my seven books was called The Antioxidant Counter. Now, although I am super proud of this little book, it wasn't my biggest best-selling book. Come to find out, not everyone is interested in knowing how antioxidants work in the body, but I was. Now, my goal with this first book was to supercharge your diet with powerful polyphenols, vitamins, and antioxidant-rich foods based on the groundbreaking ORAC scale. And ORAC stands for Oxygen Radical Absorbance Capacity. And it's designed to show which nutrient-loaded foods offer the greatest healing power and how to include more of them into your diet. Well, luckily, Dr. William Lee has decided to devote his life's work to the research of foods for beating disease, and in his new book, he is making a splash. Today, Dr. Lee and I geek out on the unexpected superfoods and how they play a role on healing our bodies. And let me tell you, his superfood list looks a lot like my superfoods list about 10 years ago. So I'm glad to know that we are both on the same page and clearly both digging into the right kind of research. Now, before we jump into this insightful interview with Dr. Lee, I want to quickly take a moment and celebrate you. One particular rock star I'm celebrating today is Jen, and I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on Instagram just a couple of days ago. Here's what Jen had to say. Dr. Marisa is a wealth of knowledge and so much fun too. I love all the topics she covers. She is so down to earth and understands what busy women struggle with. Don't miss an episode because she has so much to bring to each and every one of us. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for the awesome shout out. Let me tell you, it is such a privilege to get to show up and serve you guys every single day. And it's important that we shed light on what is going on in the body so that we can make educated decisions on how to get better. I want to congratulate you, girl, on that next step to your healing journey. And if you're listening, Jen, I would love to hook you up with my Superwoman blend. So just reach out to me on Facebook or where you found me on Instagram, which is at Dr. Marisa. Now, fellow listeners, I, you guys know I want to shout you out. That is obvious. I love to take a moment. I love the insight. I love hearing from you. 
So you can reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook or simply reviewing this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you plug into. Let's be honest, this is the kind of information that we need when it comes to women's health. And the more and more we can get these episodes out there into the world, the more that we shed light on these big, these big concerns, these big issues, this dysfunctional world of how to get the body on track, it opens the door to more conversations and it really gets us the type of care that we deserve. Now, now that I was able to share that, I can't wait to hear from you. But let's dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. William Lee. Now, before I bring him on, I want to quickly sing his praises. William Lee is a world-renowned physician, scientist, and speaker, and the author of Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. He is best known for the leading angiogenesis foundation. His groundbreaking work has impacted more than 70 diseases, including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. His TED Talk, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer?, has garnered more than 11 million views, and he has appeared on Dr. Oz, Martha Stewart, CNN, NPR, Voice of America, and many other publications. Dr. Lee serves on the faculties of Harvard, Tuff, and Dartmouth Medical School. Let's bring him on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. William Lee. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Well, I can't tell you how excited I am. This is my favorite topic of conversation, and we're going to be talking about your book, and it's Eat to Beat Disease. And before we get started, I just want to take a quick moment and just a massive congratulations for hitting the New York Times bestsellers list as a first-time author. How did that feel when you got that announcement, I guess, a week ago, right? Yeah, actually, last week, uh, I got a uh, text from my agent uh, letting me know that I had hit the list and then a phone call. Very exciting and gratifying to see the type of enthusiasm and impact that a book has. It's a lot of work to write a book and then a lot of lead up to, you know, try to get it out to people. But then when people really embrace something and you can, you know, see that being recognized, it feels great. It is. And especially this topic. I always say, you know, people always ask me, I've, I've actually written seven and soon to start writing my eighth book. And people ask me all the time, why do you write? And I was like, it's the most, you know, it's the most affordable way to disseminate some of the most important information out there. I mean, probably Dr. William Lee, you, your life's work was in that book, I take it. Well, I've really spent about 30 years pursuing answers to questions that have always intrigued me and that form the basis of my work. I'm a physician as well as a scientist and sort of working in both the clinical world, but also the scientific world. So that's really sort of the bedside in the laboratory. One of the real questions is, how do we do the best job we possibly can? So I will tell you, really, for the last two and a half decades or so, I've been doing what I was trained to do, which is diagnose diseases, write prescriptions, try to chase down diseases and try to cure them. But about 10 years ago, I realized, you know, what we were doing is really trying to catch the horse after it's already left the barn. And that prevention really is something that was so important that we were not making a big enough effort on in the medical community. But as a scientist, I realized also that the same serious science that is used to 
do medical research hadn't yet been applied to the area of nutrition. So that's really what I brought those worlds together that represented what I put into the book. I love that. Oh my gosh. So so let's just say 20 something years of, of your work and your curiosity has been brought to this book. That is absolutely incredible. So uh, tell me a little bit more. So about 10 years ago, you decided, please correct me if I'm incorrect, that there there was more to it, that you wanted to dive deeper into the prevention piece and food became a part of that. So talk to me about that evolution, how that came to be for you. Well, you know, I was uh, seeing patients day in and day out and giving them these horrible diagnoses of heart disease and cancer and diabetes and dementia. You know, the usual things that everybody recognizes is um, slowly sinking our society in terms of health care and that, ev- that affect everybody. Because if you're not the patient, you're the, you're the caregiver or you're, you know somebody who's been touched by these diseases. And after I would talk to them, my patients, about how bad things were and what kinds of treatments they would have to uh, endure, they would often put on their coat, leave, uh, kind of start heading out of the office and then turn around and say, hey, doc, one more thing. What can I do for myself? What What should I be eating? And I realized that I didn't have the answer at the time. I was never taught it in medical school. And that just seemed wrong to me. And so that's what part of what set me out in this journey, really to try to figure out, you know, what should people eat? when they're sick. But even more importantly, in my work at the nonprofit organization that I started and I lead called the Angiogenesis Foundation, we spent the last 25 years really trying to develop these breakthrough treatments for cancer, for blindness, actually, and for complications of diabetes. And what I realized, again, is that the powerful science that's leading to biotechnology could even be more powerful if we started to use those tools to look at food. So literally, when I look at, when we hear food as medicine, I'm really walking the walk and not just talking the talk. I'm actually taking a look at understanding, you know, how does food actually benefit our health and clearing up a lot of those questions that cause confusion because I realized I was as confused as everybody else. You know, one day you hear this superfood that's really great for you. And then the next week you get whiplash because then everybody says in the news that it's terrible for you. And I just wanted to get at the truth and understand exactly what was actually going on. And I actually think it's the guiding light to a better society for us because then we'll have fewer people that are sick and then the resources that we do have, we'll have more of them to be able to dedicate what medicines we need to for people that weren't able to avoid the illness to begin with. So food as medicine is a tool in a toolbox that allow us to actually help avoid disease, but also if people are sick to be able to contribute something to what the healthcare system is able to give them as well. Mm. And you're absolutely right. One of the things that you mentioned is, right, people keep hearing, we, we so much we talk about that, that food is medicine. And that actually started my writing campaign many years ago. My first five books were on nutrition and nutrition's built in every book that I've ever written. And I was so, I was a biochemist before I became a practitioner. So I was always so fascinated with the research, particularly antioxidants and oxidative stress and so much. But 
a lot of people hear this, you know, the everyday person hears this and, you know, it's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to have the science to really back it up. And that's what you've done. So talk to me about how science has evolved to help us to have a greater understanding, not only for our patients, but also practitioners who aren't necessarily, again, weren't taught this in school, may not be applying this in bed at bedside, how to eat to beat disease, those chronic diseases that you mentioned. Well, it starts with the word disease, really. The bottom line is that most people who are practitioners are trained to try to help people stay healthy, but we tend to think about disease. And that's really what a lot of our training and education is is all about. But I actually think that the new focus that every health practitioner needs to be focusing on is not disease, but health. And so then the question is, what is health? And this is something I've spent the last you know, decade looking at. And here's what I've realized and discovered. Health isn't just the absence of disease. Health is really the result of our body's natural health defense systems that are hardwired into our bodies, and they're firing on all cylinders from the time we're born until our very last breath. And you know, the question about health is you know, not just juicing, jogging, and yoga those things can actually help. But what do we do to actually, how does our body work to really resist diseases? Why, In other words, why aren't we sick more often? And that's what I set out to address in the first part of Eat to Beat the Disease. And when I was writing it, I was really trying to explain to the reader, what do we now know using modern science in ways that everybody can understand? So think Discovery Channel or Natchio, kind of taking you on a journey into sort of an, an exotic land to, to be surprised by what we're actually discovering is how the body defends itself through these health defense systems. And I think that Again, when it comes to food and health, it's not just about the food. It's about how our body responds to what we put into it. And when you actually apply that prism to looking at eating for health, suddenly what we see on our dinner table, in the market, in a grocery store looks completely different because we now have a different understanding of how to activate our own bodies. So I think of it like food, I always talk about how food is information that your body makes intelligent decisions to implement. Tell me a little bit about these key defense systems and how foods can activate them. What have you discovered in this journey? Because I always think about health as function and how does the body function? How does the immune system function? But talk to me a little bit about these key defense systems. Right. Well, when I started out about 30 years ago, I studied this field called angiogenesis. And it's a fancy word that um, now people are hearing about everywhere, partly because of my book. And angiogenesis is the gro- is how the body grows blood vessels. Most people don't know that this is a, one of the most important defense systems of our body because the typical person has 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels packed into, under our skin. So th- this is such an extensive organ, our blood vessels, that if we were to pull all of them out and line them in, end to end, it would form a line that would wrap around the earth twice. Now, our circulation, which is made up of blood vessels, brings oxygen and nutrients to every cell in our body. So, in fact, without angiogenesis, we wouldn't be able to maintain our health. With good angiogenesis, we're able to really nourish all of our tissues. And that's what also led me to think about what's the relationship between angiogenesis and food. What we feed our body will ultimately get into our circulation, which will then ultimately get to our cells. 
Our blood vessels are one of our super important health defense systems of the body, and it functions in perfect balance, just like so many other things that are related to health. It's all about balance. It's not about nicotine. When we have just the right number of blood vessels, all our entire body is happy and we're healthy. When we have not enough blood vessels, some of our organs can start to starve and die, like in you know a heart attack or after a stroke, or even nerves that can die when you don't have enough circulation. And that would be due to mitochondrial function, right? Well, that's one of the that's one of the you know the mitochondria is sort of like the um, car battery, you know, the of the, these new motors, and like they, they fuel everything ultimately. And if you cut off the blood supply. That battery, it's sort of like removing the charger cord from the wall. Eventually, that battery's going to run out, and then it'll be a dead battery. And if you have too many blood vessels, they can actually feed disease. And the best example, that's cancer, where you know we all form little cancers in our body that will never bother us. But if these tumors actually recruit or hijack our angiogenesis, our defense system, and feed themselves, then the tumor can actually grow. And that causes a problem. So angiogenesis is one of our body's health defense systems that foods can actually activate. And there's a number of other ones as well. There's four other health defense systems. Wonderful. Okay. So so angiogenesis being one of the things, we know that oxygen is necessary to fuel cellular function, right? To fuel mitochondrial function. And also angiogenesis going haywire can actually fuel things that we don't want to fuel, right? So that's a big concern there. And what you've discovered is, okay, how do we ensure the homeostasis or the functioning of this angiogenesis in the body? And you have discovered that there are certain foods that actually ensure that they're activated in an appropriate way. That's right. What you've done is because I was involved with developing angiogenesis-based medicines in the biotech world. So we actually have these testing systems that are used for drug development that we can actually study food in. And what's really quite remarkable is that when you want to sort of prevent diseases from getting blood vessels, you can eat foods that essentially act like mowing the lawn. So you kind of mow away the blood vessels. The foods help the body get rid of extra blood vessels that might actually feed disease cells on one hand. And on the other hand, uh, there are foods that can actually activate the body's blood vessels to grow only where they're needed so you can actually feed those cells. Mm, okay, so t- okay, so what are so let's talk about these foods. Let's 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 get into the foods that we're looking at and eat and so much there. Let's talk about foods that activate, but can we also talk a little bit about foods that we should be mindful of? You know, and I'm a, I'm assuming that I don't know how detailed you get in this content in terms of you know how much of a food or what foods we should absolutely never eat. You know, but I'm I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about this. When I set up writing my book, I wanted to do something a little bit different than what most food and diet and health books do. For the most part, many diet books actually are trying to do weight loss. And to do that, you want to restrict and eliminate certain foods from your diet. There are certainly a lot of foods that are not healthy for us to eat. And I do write about some of them. I think it might be more useful. And what I really want to do is add to say, what foods can we add to our diet? Because that's really what people love. You know, human nature abhors deprivation, but it really adores inclusion and choice. Everybody likes to choose the things that they love. And so in my book, what I write about is leaning into the foods that have evidence. And I write about more than 200 of them. So, but I think that, you know, you're, you're bringing up a really 
important point, which is, okay, what are the health defense systems and what are some foods that can damage them, some common foods that are damaging them, so that we can start to think about maybe on the other side, well, then what are some of the foods that can actually fix that damage or activate them so we can get back to health? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, in a sense, we know a lot of these chronic conditions, and you can speak to this as well, I think I've lended to some foods that we, you know, I feel like so often we're overfed and undernourished. You know, the body is so miraculous. We have a lot of things we can do with foods. But, you know, I think about like, let's say Twinkies, for example, Dr. Lee. I don't necessarily know if there's anything that's in a Twinkie that's necessarily going to activate angiogenesis in a positive way. (laughs) Right. So let's first go quickly through the five health defense systems. We talked about angiogenesis. A second health defense system is our stem cells. So when most of us were kids, we were taught by our teachers that starfish and salamanders can regenerate, but people don't. Well, the science now tells us we do, in fact, regenerate from the inside out through stem cells that live in our bone marrow and they come out and they actually help to regenerate our heart. They help to regenerate our muscles and our brain, our hair and our organs and foods can activate those. Another defense system is our microbiome, which, you know, everybody's hearing now about the healthy gut bacteria. Well, I'll tell you, it's a defense system. There's 39 trillion bacteria in our body, about as many as bacteria as we have like really human cells. And when we feed ourselves, when we eat Not only are we feeding our human cells, we're also feeding the bacteria. And when the bacteria are happy, they actually talk to our immune system. They help us heal faster. Um, They even communicate with our brains to release social hormones like oxytocin, which is the hormone that we makes us feel good when we get a hug from somebody we love. So that's another defense system that is powerfully influenced by food is our microbiome. Then you go on to DNA as a health defense system. Now, most people think about DNA as our genetic code. And it is. But it's a lot more than that because our DNA is hardwired to protect us from the environment. So you go to the beach and you get a tan. You get the ultraviolet radiation rays coming in causing DNA damage. You breathe in by accident, secondhand smoke. That's causing DNA damage. You're filling up your car with gas. I always ask people, do you stand upstream or downstream? Well, if you smell the fumes, you're standing downstream and that smelling those fumes are causing DNA damage. The good news is that our DNA is hardwired to be able to neutralize those attackers to minimize the damage that they can cause, and then to fix itself. So foods can activate that as well. And then finally, the fifth defense system is our immune system, which you know every grandmother's told their uh, grandchild that a good immune system can help you resist bacteria and infections. But we now know that the immune system is powerful enough where it can actually even fight off cancer. So those five defense systems are kind of like what we are put on this earth with to take us through our entire journey. And when we eat unhealthy things, they can knock down or batter our defenses. So our defenses are working as hard as they can, but they can be beaten down. On the other hand, what I write about is more than 200 foods that can activate our health defenses. Wonderful. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing all of the defense systems. And those make so much sense to me. Let's talk about, so we got a list of 200 foods. As you can imagine, that is a lot of variety. But talk to me about the top foods. And and are there not only the top foods, but also just because I'm curious, are there some of these top foods that are favorites of yours? Or do you are you do you adopt the philosophy of like eat to live? You know, you even if you don't like these foods, you're gonna eat them anyway because you know they activate these very specific defense systems. 
Well, look, here's the great news. First of all, I enjoy eating. I would say that it's part of how I enjoy my journey through life is exploring foods. There are foods that I love to eat, and I'll talk about those in a second. But also, I like to explore. I like to try new things. I like to explore other cultures and other recipes. And and if somebody tells me about something they ate that's really amazing, it makes me curious to try it as well. So you know, like a lot of people, I want to basically have a have food or have a meal that I actually I don't I don't dislike, you know. So I don't like to deprive myself. However, here's the thing that I try to do with 200 foods at my disposal, and there's, much, there's even more than 200 foods. Surely there is something that everyone can actually like, and so I'll just tell you a few defense activating foods that I think are noteworthy for your listeners. And some of them are surprises, and I think I like to talk about the surprises because they can clear up confusion. Mm -hmm. One of the surprise foods is actually soy. And, you know, soy is uh, very commonly eaten in Asia. And by the way, when I talk about soy, I'm not talking about processed soy. I'm not talking about, you know, hydrolyzed soy or uh, manufactured soy protein. I'm talking about edamame, tofu, soy milk, miso, the soy made from whole food and maybe fermented. But soy's developed a scary reputation because some people believe it can cause breast cancer because soy has a estrogen. Um, Again, this is how science has advanced. The science now tells us that the plant estrogen is nothing like the human estrogen and in fact can counter its effects. So I read about a study in my book about 5,000 women who have breast cancer. So these are the women who, you know, have the most to lose in terms of eating foods that, that might you know, stoke up the breast cancer. But this study of 5,000 women with breast cancer showed that those who ate more soy had an almost 30% lower risk of mortality. They did better. And, and if they had their cancer completely removed, those women who ate more soy also had about a 30% reduction in the chance of their breast cancer coming back. So it's very clear soy doesn't harm, it can help. Now, that study showed that the amount of soy that's been proven to be beneficial is about 10 grams of soy protein a day. That's the amount found in one cup of soy milk, so not a lot. And we now know that the natural chemical found in soy is called genistein, and genistein cuts off the blood supply is an anti-angiogenic. So it cuts off the blood supply, feeding cancers. So now we have a public health study about a specific food, clearing up the data that it's not harmful, it's helpful. We know what's actually in it that actually might contribute to its help. We know how it works and we know the amount you have to eat. So this is an example of a food in my book, like really taken through the science. And because soy has so many different types, for example, as we talked about, you know, soy milk, tofu, miso, tempeh, um, there's even soy yogurt and soy cheese these days. I think there's a lot of choices that you can make and they all, and these all involve, actually help to activate angiogenesis defense. Another food that's kind of surprising is tomatoes because there's so many, there's so much controversy now that's coming out about tomatoes. And, you know, I like to say somebody jokingly, tomatoes have developed a shady reputation because some people say that they're related to the nightshade. But, you know, what the, the story behind that's really interesting. When the um, Spanish explorers brought tomatoes back to Europe, the botanists in Europe looked at the leaves of the tomato plant that they had never seen before. And, and, and they said, you know, we've never seen this before. Let's go to our museum and see what kind of plant it kind of looks like. And so they were holding up the leaf across different plants. And they're like, you know, 
kind of looks like a nightshade. So let's put that in that category. And and there and then it like forever had this tattoo on it. Like it's look it's related to a nightshade. But in fact, it's not really a nightshade. And tomatoes are amazing fruits. It's they're they're packed with vitamins and they have this natural chemical called lycopene. Mother nature laces the our the foods we love with chemicals that can actually help activate our health defenses. So lycopene actually can cut off the blood supply to cancer. It's like, like soy, it's anti-androgenic. And I read about a study of 46,000 men who were followed over many years and showed that those who ate two to three cups of cooked tomatoes, this is tomato sauce a week, had about a 30% decreased risk of prostate cancer. And it's not just eating a tomato off a vine because the lycopene that you might find occurring in nature is really hard for the body to absorb. It tends to pass right through us when we eat it. So we get the vitamins from the tomato, but the lycopene goes right through us. However, you slowly heat up tomatoes. The heat, slow heat, like simmering, will change the chemical structure of the lycopene from the form we can't absorb to the form we really love to absorb. And because lycopene dissolves in oil, if you actually add a little olive oil to it, it absorbs the lycopene a lot faster in our system. So... This is another example of a food that, you know, is very commonly eaten that has got some confusion to it that's really helpful. So, you know, these are just two examples. I got a whole bunch of examples of foods that activate different defense systems as well. I love it. And real quick, in terms of tomatoes, you know, just give an example of lycopene or all the vitamins and minerals that come with with a really great tomato. And I've read so much great research on having a good fatty oil like olive oil to really change it. You know, you looked at angiogenesis for lycopene. Were there other benefits too in the other defense systems like regeneration or immune system? So this is an active area of investigation. So, you know, tomatoes have vitamin C. Uh, Vitamin C actually can calm the immune system. It kind of right-sizes the immune system. So it can be useful for autoimmune disease, for example, because foods with a lot of vitamin C can actually be beneficial in that capacity. And then, you know, what's interesting, you asked about lycopene and stem cells. One of the areas that is being looked at right now is what is the effect of lycopene in regeneration? But the very particular area of research is fat cells have stem cells, right? Everybody's worried about fat. We like to lose weight. The question is, can lycopene actually target and knock out the stem cells of fat? And there's some just beginning evidence to say they have. So this is, we're at the beginning of this new era of discovery about what's in our food and what can it actually do for our defenses. Mm, I love it. And I had read this, the study on soy as well. So I'm so grateful that you shared that. That's a question that comes up as a women's hormone expert all the time, the concern around those isoflavones and how estrogenic they are. And so I really appreciate you sharing that because that's my audience. One more, I know you've got so many in one. It, it's about grabbing the book, everybody. Let's be honest. You know, eat to beat diseases. We got to get the book into your hands so you can really see. But is there any, is there one more food? And I noticed that a lot of these foods have been plants so far. Are a lot of the foods in the book of plant origin? Many of the foods are plant-based foods. And almost all the evidence, when you look at large public health studies, clearly shows that eating a plant-based diet is healthier. But in my book, I actually show that, you know, it's not just plant-based food. For example, if you look at the science, you let science lead the way, certain breads are even useful because like sourdough and pumpernickel bread actually have effects on our gut bacteria. Pumpernickel is made with rye flour, which lowers unhealthy bacteria that can cause inflammation. And I mean, how many people 
especially women are sort of trying to figure out, scratching your head, figuring out like, how come when I eat, actually, you know, my digestion isn't so good or, you know, um, and they, and they, and you try like to figure out, is it gluten? Is it, you know, like what kind of, what, what are my problems? Sourdough is actually made with a bacteria that's also a healthy gut bacteria called lactobacillus ruteri that can actually boost the immune system and fight tumor development, including in a laboratory fight breast cancer development, and it lowers inflammation and it even can cause weight loss. So that's an example. Um, dark chocolate, I write in my book that dark chocolate's made with cacao, high concentrations of the cacao. It turns out there's a natural chemical, polyphenols, that can act activate our stem cells and help us regenerate from the inside out. So that's really cool. There's even data that show beverages like tea and coffee. Coffee helps slow down our cellular aging. Who doesn't want to age more slowly? Uh, sign me up, Dr. Dr. Lee, you have becoming an instant favorite over here on this podcast with chocolate and coffee and all the things. Real, like My ladies are going to love you. <laughs> well, and, and you know, and this is really the joy of the era that we're entering into, right? When we start taking serious research in this, like the real serious science that's used for years, for decades, looking at medicine to look at food, you know, we're discovering new things. And I think the best part of, for me, the joy in this work that I've found is that, sure, we can find things that are not good for us, we should cut out of our diet. But at the same time, we're also discovering new things that are actually good for us. And tea is another great one. You know, everybody knows green tea is good for you. Turns out black tea also actually can help stimulate stem cells and help us regenerate. By the way, for your listeners, you know, most green teas, which we know are are good for your anti-angiogenic, cancer-fighting, immune-boosting, can lower blood pressure, can help your cholesterol get better. It turns out that when you take green tea leaves and grind them into a powder, you get a type of tea called matcha. And right, so you probably know about. I matcha. wrote a it's book on matcha. All right, so you are the expert on matcha. I'm not. I'm not the expert. But tell me, Dr. Lee, tell me about matcha. I love. I love it because I take it. Have you seen matcha in multiple defense systems here? Well, I'll tell you that. So matcha is, as you know, not just the steeped tea, the steep stuff from tea leaves in a bag or in a tea ball, but in fact, it's a whole leaf ground up. And because of that, you get so much more of the good stuff out of matcha. You put matcha in a cup, it's a powder, you stir it up. I mean, the entire cup turns beautiful green. It's like and emerald. You, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's like, yeah, it, it is like a jewel of a beverage, right? Like, it, you know, and, and what's amazing is that you're we're really drinking the whole leaf of the tea. It's, you know, like the ultimate vegetarian drink. What I find to be so amazing about the new research on matcha is that a few months ago, researchers in England found that matcha in the laboratory can kill breast cancer stem cells. That is amazing because stem cells are these little baby forming cells that keep cells from coming back again and again. And it's, it's good if you're regenerating healthy tissue, but in cancer, it's really the holy grail because, you know, think about the women who wind up having breast cancer and having surgery or whatever, and the cancer's gone. And then, you know, a few years later, out of the blue, it comes back. When it comes back, it comes back because of these breast cancer stem cells. So the researchers showed that matcha, when given orally in the laboratory, can kill breast cancer stem cells. Like, how good is that? 
That's incredible. I love it. I have not read that study yet. I've read a lot about matcha for boosting the immune system. I've read it. Clearly, a lot of people are interested in it for um, its antioxidant properties and its you know L-theanine, which is so great for the mind. So those are a lot of what I have researched in terms of matcha. But you know, I know that the research for matcha is continuing because of this. It's such a powerful superfood, including all the chlorophyll. I mean, just the way that it's even produced and grown is really it's really curious process. Exactly. In America, we get to benefit from the tea that's grown in other parts of the world. But in those parts of the world where they grow tea, they take their tea really seriously, right? So yes. You- Japan, I mean, matcha, a lot of people don't realize matcha has been around for almost a thousand years. And, and it's, uh, it's yeah. ceremonial. Yes. They, they have whole ceremonies around matcha. It's incredible. It's such a beautiful, such a beautiful, you know, I talk a lot about self-care and and matcha being a part of that because just the ritual of making matcha, even clearly not the full tea ritual, which can be up to a couple of hours, but just at home, just making it in the process of it, it can be very nurturing and nourishing. So there's a lot of aspects of matcha that I think are really beneficial for us as people, but I'm so grateful that you shared that. I know there are so many more foods that we can we can connect with, and but I know one of the questions I've been wanting to ask you is, with this information coming out and new research coming out, how do we take action? What, what can we do, Dr. Lee, to really get started and to really heal ourselves with food? Right. Well, it, it, you know, it starts with self-knowledge. Part of our self-knowledge is, is understanding that our bodies really are working on our behalf. You know, they're defending us all the time. So the first thing is to recognize our bodies are our friends and they are working on our behalf. And when we feed our defenses, we're really doing ourselves a favor. So we can pay ourselves forward by eating the right things. The other thing is that we don't have to cut things out. We can add things to our diet. So looking at more than these 200 foods is really an amazing set of choices. We can choose the things that we like. I tell people to look at the 200 foods in my book and choose the ones, circle them with a pencil, you know, put them on a screen and circle them with a cursor, whatever it takes, and, and identify the foods that you really, really love. That way, if you're starting to eat healthy with the things you already like, you're ahead of the game big time. Now, it takes a little time to just kind of get uh, accustomed to all these great foods that can activate our health defenses. So one of the things that I've done is actually I've created a shopping guide from the foods in my book that people can download on my website, which is Dr. William Lee, drwilliamleeli.com. And it's a free shopping list and you can print it out or you can put it on your mobile phone, call it up on the screen. And, and it really just takes you on a journey through the supermarket and identifies the foods that are in the book that you can choose. Because, you know, a lot of us who are familiar with healthy foods, it becomes instinctive what we might actually choose at the market. But for a lot of people who are getting started, you know, when you say, how do you take action now? Well, you can put it to work. You can put this new information to work right when you go to the grocery store. All you got to do is to know what to choose. Choose the ones that you recognize you already like. And so that put that into the put that into the basket right away. But what I tell people to do is like, you know, maybe once a week or once a day, if you're really ambitious about it, choose something that you haven't tried before that are, that's on the healthy list and throw that in your basket and have an adventure because people love to learn new things. I think people can lean into their diet. They can enjoy the food they eat. They can love their health by loving their foods. And if you spend more time making good decisions that are healthy for you, Well, that leaves less decisions that are unhealthy and less room in your body for that. 
You're absolutely right. You get to crowd out the bad with the good, right, over time. Doctor, I love this. So I really want you guys, you know, one, get the book, Eat to Beat Disease, a new New York Times bestselling book. My book is on the way. I can't wait to review it. I can't wait to see the list. But if you wanted to start now, like right this second, as you're listening to us connect, go over to the website and grab the shopping list. Now, Dr. Lee, I had one more question for you, or maybe a couple more questions. One, was there a food? As you're doing all this research and you've got this, these 200 foods that can help activate these bodies' defense systems, was there a food that you personally discovered that you hadn't tried before that kind of blew your mind that you were just so grateful to learn about and to integrate? Well, I eat pretty broadly, so I've <laughs> had most of the foods that I've tried, but you know, there, there are some real surprises. We know that plant-based foods are great for us. We also know that eating certain kinds of oily fish are good for us. Something I surprised myself by is trying to figure out, you know, if you eat fish, everybody knows that salmon's good for you and tuna is good for you. You got to be a little careful to make sure there isn't too much mercury. So you want to gravitate towards the smaller fish that are lower in the food chain that might have less mercury, right? Most people don't know that in the center aisle of the supermarket, which is where everybody says, stay away out of the center avoid, aisle. Avoid, avoid, yes. <laughs> exactly. But, but I can tell you that some of these small fish, mackerel, sardines, anchovies, for example, are actually found in tins in the middle aisle of a grocery store. And these tins, which I used to always think was just cat food, right? They taste like cat food, fish, tiny little fish in a, in a jar. But it turns out that in Europe, in Spain and France and Italy, tinned small fish, oily fish with packed with omega-3 fatty acids, mackerel, sardines, anchovies are a delicacy. They don't cost a lot. You can buy them. You can stick them into a, a small bag, a purse, briefcase, computer bag. They're easy to carry around. And if you open one up, it can be incredibly tasty, a tasty way to have these little fish that, you know, many people might not buy themselves, might not even order a restaurant. But here's a way you can get some fish, get some omega-3s, and you can add them to a salad really easily. So that's something I surprised myself with in terms of being able to get marine omega-3 fatty acids. Mm, I love that. Yeah, we've gone to Italy a couple times, and one of our favorite places is um, Cinque Terre. And in this little town of Monteroso, all the fishermen, there's a season of an anchovy season, and they have this big lemon festival. And anchovies are everywhere, but they have fresh, fresh anchovies with lemon and olive oil, and it's this whole thing. But the towns there, it's particularly the towns in Italy, they survive on, on these anchovies. I thought it was so incredible. And that was the first time I ever tried anchovies was there. And it was really delicious. And so I'm glad you brought that up. So you see, you, you had an adventure, right? I did. It was an incredible adventure. <laughs> right. This is what I encourage your listeners from your podcast fans to really do is start with the things you like. I'm sure when you were in Italy, that's what you did. You ordered the things you liked and then you saw something going on and you checked it out and you really liked it. And now you've learned to enlarge your life. I think that's what eating healthy is all about. It's really not making it a burden, making it something sustainable that you can do your whole life. These deprivation diets or elimination diets are, you know, you can do them for a short periods of time, but they're really, really hard to sustain. 
And so here, I think you can eat to beat disease and love your life at the same time. I love that. I think that is just the most powerful takeaway. I want to say one thing. I just love your philosophy. You know, I meet so many scientists too, not to say that they they don't have that vigor for life, but I love how you've translated the science into living, living this beautiful life, but living a beautiful life that's healthy, full of variety with foods that we can scientifically prove are really healing the body. One of the things that's so fun for me to see after my book came out is um, chefs at restaurants buying the book and talking about it because they get excited about what they can dream up in the menus that they're going to create for their diners. That is wonderful. That You know what? To inspire chefs, that is quite incredible. And I think it's because of the way that you, that you approach this topic and your philosophy around making food fun, you know, and, and, and how we can bring in good foods that eventually become foods that we love. Dr. William Lee, where is the, can we get the book anywhere? Anything else you want to share about yourself or where we should check you out? Uh, Eat to Beat is uh, available wherever books are sold, and you can find me on social at Dr. Dr. William Lee, L-I. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can sign up uh, to be on my community to stay informed and download the shopping guide, and I've got a whole bunch of other things in a pipeline I'm about to start to roll out to the community on my website at drwilliamleeli.com, and I would love to be able to communicate and uh, help engage the listeners. Absolutely. Well, all of that is going to be in the show notes, everybody. We'll be sure to link all of that up so it'll be very easy to find Dr. Lee, his website, and to grab that amazing free shopping guide if you want to get started today. Also, the book is available now, so go and get it. Dr. Lee, it was such a privilege and just wonderful to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your brilliance with us today. It's been great chatting with you, and uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Bye. One of my favorite takeaways by Dr. Lee was his take on enjoying foods that make you healthy and to support your body's cellular vitality. I loved his idea of exploring and trying and enjoying all these foods and making it a really incredible experience. His view was refreshing and positive. Now, I believe that the addition of healing foods are very important, but I also know that there's a lot of foods out there that sabotage our hormones and our cellular function. Personally, I like a combination approach of optimal health and well-being. And if you're looking for a great food plan specifically tailored to your hormones, I want to highly recommend checking out part three of my book, The Essential Oils Hormone Solution, because that 14-day hormone rescue plan is where it's at for a powerful transformation when it comes to your hormone health along with supporting your gut, your liver, and your brain function. To me, that is a mega win. Now, I will have a link to my best-selling book here in the show notes, but I also want to make sure that you check out Dr. William Lee's book as well, Eat to Beat Disease, which is on Amazon. It became an instant New York Times bestseller, and like I said, it's just a very positive approach backed up with a lot of the research that he's doing today. And it's just really fun to see that level of research being done to truly demonstrate how important food is as our medicine. Now, Dr. William Lee also provided a shopping guide for us with his amazing superfood list. If you want to grab the book and the free shopping guide, just head on over to my show notes for episode 95 or on my website at drmarisa.com slash podcast. And then you can pull up episode 95 from there. 
Well, thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the next episode, I am super excited to talk about a topic that we haven't shed a lot of light on. I'm bringing on Dr. Kelly Colwell to talk about menopause, specifically what's really going on with menopause and providing you with some non-synthetic hormonal solutions. I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode with the, the two of us. Dr. Kelly and I, I think we go into great depth to explore what is possible for menopause and how we really should be looking at this beautiful transition in our life. So I can't wait to have you on the next episode listening in. Until then, have an amazing week. Talk to you soon. Bye.